Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Up first on this edition, speaking with me on site from the new field hospital in Central Park in New York City, Dr. Elliot Tenpenny of Samaritan's Purse described the work being done there. Then it's Carter Conlon of Times Square Church, based in New York City, who discussed the church's worldwide prayer meeting every Tuesday night and how it has been impacted by concern over the coronavirus. Also, you'll be hearing from the recently retired Benjamin Watson after 16 seasons in the NFL. In our conversation, he reflected on how God had used him in the league and called attention to a new film examining the issue of the sanctity of life in which he's involved. Excerpts are ahead. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, Keith Getty spoke with me about a new online feature that he, his wife, Kristen, and their four daughters do on Tuesday nights. Find out about their family hymn sing and why he recommends that families sing together. Plus, at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, I sat down with Jeff Gowler and John Thompson of Global Media Outreach, which is reaching people around the world with the truth of God's Word, inviting them into a relationship with Jesus Christ using the powerful tool of technology. Recently, I had a follow-up conversation with Michelle Diedrich of GMO, who provided an update about the impact of the ministry in light of the COVID-19 crisis. You'll be hearing from her coming up. Finally, Peter Rosenberger has experience as a caregiver, having cared for his disabled wife for over 30 years now, and that involves something else that many are participating in these days, working at home. Find out about his take about trusting the Lord through difficulty coming up. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Dr. Elliot Tenpenny, team lead of the COVID-19 response in New York City for the international relief organization Samaritan's Purse, reported on the field hospital that the ministry established in Central Park in order to treat patients with the coronavirus. From a recent conversation, here is Elliot Tenpenny. So here in New York, there's been the vast majority of the cases uh, of all of the U.S. cases of COVID-19. The hospitals here are quite overwhelmed. Uh, they're struggling to keep up with the volume of patients. Uh, so we were asked to come in to provide uh, surge capacity alongside uh, New York City and help them during this time of need. And so as far as working with the authorities there in New York City, tell me just a little bit about the, the coordination and how Samaritan's Purse got involved and who you're working with. Yeah, absolutely. So we got involved working through the national government, working through the uh, state government, and also in partnership here with Mount Sinai Hospital, uh, which is right across Fifth Avenue from where we're sitting, setting up here, uh, working together uh, to start bringing additional case capacity, additional treatment capacity to the people of New York. It's gone incredibly well. I've seen every uh, agency I know, NYPD, Con Ed, we've had uh, Park Service, all kinds of folks coming out here to help us uh, set up as quickly as possible and start taking care of people. So from the time that you arrived there on the scene in New York, tell me about the the timeline as far as the construction of that field hospital. Absolutely. So we arrived um, and had a site picked out on Saturday morning. Sunday morning, all the hospital arrived, and that will now it's Tuesday. We're just about to see our first patients. Hmm. 
what would you say are the when you when you talk about working in partnership, you mentioned Mount Sinai Hospital. Of course, you have a number of hospitals there in New York City. There is an enormous amount of pressure on those hospitals, and so you're there to help relieve the pay, the pressure, see more patients. So, are there? services that your hospital are going to be performing that perhaps other hospitals are not going to be? I know that there's been some talk of having some COVID-19 specific hospitals or or tell me about what, what it is that your facility will be doing here in the days to come. Our facility here will be taking care of all COVID-19 patients. Okay. We'll be specifically equipped to care for those. A lot of the um, other capacities coming in they're not treating those, and we felt like uh, that's where the need is. That's where the surge capacity that's needed is. And so uh, all 68 beds will be of COVID-19 patients here. Well, Dr. Elliot Tenpenny is joining me today here on The Beating House on Faith Radio. He is the team lead for the COVID-19 response in New York City for the international relief organization Samaritan's Purse. And so, Dr. Tenpenny, let's talk about what the 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 symptoms, the conditions that that are that you anticipate seeing out of the patients that will be coming in, what other hospitals there in New York City have seen so far with respect to COVID-19 patients, what are, are some of the biggest needs, the biggest symptoms that, that are being seen? So a lot of the patients have been having shortness of breath. Uh, difficulty breathing, that's the biggest symptom, the biggest challenge. They develop pneumonia, and um, that what is what leads them to life-threatening illness, really, uh, is the pneumonia, fluid in their lungs, difficulty breathing. So that's what we're prepared to uh, treat in what we call a respiratory care unit here at Central Park. Tell me how your approach would be, say, different than some of the other medical facilities that that people might see? Sure. Um, here in New York, um, they have been in a battle. They've really been in a battle against this disease, and we're coming alongside them in this battle. We're coming alongside them uh, to treat the patients medically, and also we're coming alongside of them in prayer. Uh, Samaritan's First believes in prayer, and um, we believe in prayer as each one of the practitioners will pray with each and every one of these patients uh, for their healing and also um, for their families as needed. So I think that is one of the main things. I don't know if I would say um, totally different. Uh, you know, prayer is used by many people yes. all over the world. Uh, here in New York City, uh, thank goodness, also uh, where the church is present. But I would say that uh, we definitely will be making that an emphasis of our work. Elliot Tenpenny from New York City with Samaritan's Purse. The website address for the ministry is samaritanspurse.org. Next up, it's the senior pastor of Times Square Church based in New York City. Carter Conlin spoke with me about the worldwide prayer meeting, its history, and the effect of the coronavirus on the nature of the prayer content. That prayer meeting is held every Tuesday night beginning at 6 o'clock Central Time. Here now is Carter Conlon. When you're talking about uh, the church in China, uh, suffering has not been uh, foreign to them. You know, it's been part of the DNA from the inception of the church. I, I'm in touch with missionaries over there and people who work over there. and So I'm, I'm really abreast on what's been going on there for the last 
several years. So this is this is not something really new to them. As a matter of fact, under oppression and uh, circumstances like this, they actually flourish. Now, for us here in America, we have been raised largely on a soft diet for a lot of years. And uh, so suffering and crisis is a little bit new to us. But I'm thankful that there are people seemingly rising up all over the place. You know, that sometimes, you know, the funny thing is that people who thought they were cowards come out in their grave and people who thought they were brave end up cowards, you know, it's just amazing. But you're seeing churches and pastors and uh, some people that you never expect, they're rising up, they're taking the reins, they're, they're calling the people back to God, they're, uh, they're voices of encouragement and hope and strength for those that are uh, on the edge of despair. And uh, so I, I, I think this is actually going to reprioritize a lot of the, uh, of what we believe in this country, because the the days ahead of us are not exactly going to return to normal. It's going to be difficult for 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 a while, maybe longer than we'd hoped for. And uh, you know, there's there. It's going to purify what we believe. I think we're going to have to get mm-hmm. back to some of the basics of the real gospel, and uh, and realize that sometimes uh, hardship and suffering is part of the calling of this of the cross. And uh, so I just. Uh, I'm thankful in that regard, and I'm also thankful that people are turning back to prayer and realizing, like, wow, we can't do this without the presence of God in our lives. And, you know, that's why the Second Chronicles is, is the verse used so much, you know. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, you know. So the humility has got to precede the prayer. Humility that says, you know, Bob, I, I can't do this. I, I, I you know, I you know, I, I, nothing brings you closer than the reality of your heart than being stuck in your home with your own family. And then a lot of people listening, they know exactly what that's all about. You know, you know, it just it just it just brings everything that's on Christ like mm-hmm. the surface. And we finally get to the point of saying, I can't do this, Lord, without you. And forgive me for trying. And God, I, I just ask you to give me a, a real, tangible relationship with you, where where your strength becomes mine. And, uh, you know, your, your, your will and your wisdom, God, are imparted to me, and, and you give me that which only you can give. And it's just a prayer that comes from the heart. And, um, you know, the crisis times can produce the best in us, and I, I'm, I'm optimistic that it will in the church in America. How have you seen the nature of the prayers and even, I guess you might say, the numbers of the prayers change over the last few weeks? Yeah, Bob, the, the worldwide uh, prayer meeting is so uh, we're seeing a uh, sudden influx of prayer requests from really from all over the world with many, many people with similar situations. They're very afraid for their families. They're, uh, a lot of folks have uh, sick loved ones already, family and friends, and they're very, very concerned. Some themselves have the virus and they're, they're concerned about their future and their safety. And there's also a lot of people very very fearful about their provision for the future because they've either lost or are in danger of losing their employment and they don't know how they're going to pay their bills. So I would say ultimately the fear factor is probably the biggest thing that we're dealing with right now with uh, requests coming in from, uh, from everywhere, from, like I said, 207 countries. And it seems to be a a universal situation where uh, people are just genuinely afraid for their futures. So it's a, it's a tremendous opportunity for us to pray with them and to convince them of the faithfulness of God, how faithful God has been um, to those of us who are praying with them and how faithful God will be, and just to, to help people get their focus back on eternal things and uh, to lift their eyes a little bit higher than the things of this world that maybe at one time offered them security and suddenly seem to be taken away. You know, I quite often quote Psalm 46 where they 
the psalmist says, you know, even though the mountains be shaken and the seas roar with the swelling, there's a confidence in God in my heart. You know, there's this, I have this trust in God, and uh, he won't fail me, he won't forsake me. So I have been doing my best to help people to focus on the faithfulness of God, plus also the the reality, you know, the sufferings of this present time, as Paul says, are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will one day be revealed in us. So just getting it back to heaven's perspective and maybe getting our focus a little bit less on the things of this world and more on the things of of eternity. So that's where I think this uh, permitting has become a great strength for a lot of people. Carter Conlin here on The Intersection. You can access the Worldwide Prayer Meeting at tsc.nyc. Also, for more information, you can go to itstimetopray.org. Next, it's retired NFL player Benjamin Watson. He shared about his retirement after 16 years in the league, reflecting on God's work in his life during his time in the NFL. He also shared from his pro-life perspective and commented on the film project entitled Divided Hearts of America, in which he's involved. It deals with the abortion issue. Here now is Benjamin Watson. My parents tell me that I always said I wanted to be a football player and a missionary. And I think that I was able to accomplish both of those things. I think that, that you know, I was given so many opportunities with organizations like FCA and um, Pro Athlete Outreach, uh, which is a pros to pros ministry that my wife and I have been involved with for pretty much my entire career in the NFL. Uh, to, to just the individual locker room uh, ministry with, with young men, uh, who are going through different things in their lives with their families, with uh, their wives or girlfriends, uh, just tremendous opportunities to see the Lord work in, in different people's lives uh, around me. People, people a lot of times ask, uh, what, what is it like in the NFL locker room? Are there any Christians? And I say, you know what? There's the same amount of Christians as there are in any other workplace. Uh, mm. there's, there's, there's some that are there. There's some that are on the fence. There's some people that are hard. No. I think that anywhere you go, that's what you're going to see. Um, there's just obviously different challenges or, more, or unique challenges uh, in the NFL, but everybody faces those things. Um, but but I've really, you know, looking back spiritually, as you, as you asked, it's been a really rich, really the last, I would say, I would say five years of my career, six years after my career, um, really have been really rich when it comes to uh, ministry amongst my peers, but also uh, being able to engage uh, from a spiritual standpoint in the culture. Well, let's talk just a bit about something that you were known for, not only being a, an ambassador for Christ, but also an ambassador for life, which, of course, those are not exclusive things. A, an outgrowth of your walk with the Lord is your support for the unborn. You're working on a movie project. It's called Divided Hearts of America. Tell me about how this this actually came to be and the motivation for it. Well, the idea for it came about a year, a little over a year ago, at the beginning of last year when uh, New York passed the Reproductive Health Act and when states like yours, Alabama, Georgia, passed uh, more conservative laws. And, and, you know, all these states were kind of gearing up or ramping up uh, in their own way, passing different laws uh, having to do with preborn children. And, um, you know, I, I just had a feeling that, you know, how could I, how could I engage in this and how can I discover really what's going on? Because there's more than meets the eye, I would say, uh, something like this. We obviously have our opinions. We have our convictions. Everybody does. But there's not that much engagement with either side. There's not that much, you know, discovering the history of, of 
where we are today. And so um, I joined up with a group that I had met before randomly as, as a small group of filmmakers and together uh, we're making Divided Hearts of America, uh, which is really a documentary about the issue of abortion in, in our country. And so over the last year and a half or so, I've interviewed about 30 to 40 uh, different uh, voices. Uh, these voices are in areas of faith, in politics, uh, academia, medicine, um, athletics, the list, the list goes on, kind of a cross-section of America. It's mostly uh, people who would consider themselves to be uh, pro-life or in support of birth for pre-born children, but there's also some people who are on the other side because I feel like it's vitally important that we whatever side we're on, that we, we at least listen to why others believe the way that they believe. I think there's no way, and that's for other issues as well, there's no way that we effectively engage with people and respectfully engage with them if we're not even willing to hear their reasons for their stance. And so uh, the goal is, is still, even with corona, <laughs> the goal is still to release this film uh, at some point in, in fall of 2020 of this year. We're in post-production now. Uh, it's really been an incredible experience. I'm really excited to to show it to everybody because I think that uh, we'll we'll all be be moved in some way. You know, for some of us, hopefully we are more more solidified in our in our convictions. For others, there may be a change there. But I want all of us to be introspective. I want all of us to think about how we talk about those on the other side, but also to be reaffirmed in why we believe what we believe. And I think these voices are really a great cross-section of America on this topic. Benjamin Watson here on The Intersection. His website address is thewatson7.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You will find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on the Intersection Podcast. The podcast is available through the Media Center. You can also subscribe to it via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page, and there's a link to video content, including recently added content from Faith Radio, Meeting House, Media Central at the 2020 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. You can also go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Content from The Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Next on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Keith Getty, who discussed the concept of the weekly family hymn sing on Facebook Live Tuesday nights at 7.15 Central during the coronavirus crisis. He also shared about the meaning of the song, Christ Our Hope in Life and Death, and underscored the importance of families singing together. From that overall conversation, here now is Keith Getty. You know, I think there's several things that that, that people are aware of. Number one, people are actually, most of all, people are actually thinking about life and death. You know, and that's that's what previous Christian generations did so well, and what the last two generations have done so badly. You know, from the, the visual of, of moving churches away from cemeteries to the to the to the winding down and the and the, and the tapering off of, of proper evangelistic preaching to our songs, seventy five percent of the great hymns that we sing, the majority of the psalms, all look at life and death and immortality, God who is everlasting, that He is our Judge, that 
one day we will be at peace with him and all these kind of themes that were in the songs. 3% of worship songs address those issues. So I think that really is the, the biggest issue. But honestly, for all of us, especially you know people like you and I who are entrepreneurial and, and, and try and lead things, you know, the, 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 the frightening realization of one's own dispensability, mm. or realizing that many of the things you spent many hours building up have, have disappeared have disappeared in a heartbeat um, is difficult. And then also, I think, the, 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 the gift that it is to be just close to loved ones, you know, and, you know, I mean, I was talking to the Focus and the Family guys and, and the Family Life Today guys last week, they were going, we, we could never have imagined an opportunity for influence like we're going to have for this year. We'll, we'll never have it again, you know, so... The urgency. I mean, I, I, I'm talking to friends and relatives who don't know the Lord, you know, and having conversations that are at least certainly leadingly spiritual um, for the first time in years. And so this is this is phenomenal. This is phenomenal. In the midst of it all, there's that worship component, and you are someone, in fact, just having known what you and Kristen do and, and your heart for music and your singing with your family, it's not a surprise that your family hymn sing has, has actually, it just started, as I understand it, on St. Patrick's Day. You've had two of them. This is going to be, as I understand it, an every Tuesday night thing. So tell me about how this got started. I think it was just on St. Patrick's Day, right? Yeah, it was it was a total fluke, and it was all my wife's idea. I was, you know, I I was I was having a bad mood. I mean, honestly, Bobby, can you imagine? Can you imagine what 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 did what did the Irish guy do in quarantine in St Patrick's Day? I mean, it sounds like a joke. Do you know what I mean? It was like you can't have St Patrick's Day quarantine. So I was just in a bad mood the whole day. It was one of those days I was being a lousy dad, and I had a, I had a sore neck as well. I had a sore neck the whole day. And my wife said we need to do a hymn sing. And then she goes, Why don't we live stream it? And I said, Well. You know, we're not, we're not technological. We don't have good equipment. And, uh, and I'm going to have a sore neck. I'm in a bad mood. And she goes, no, I want to do this. And so finally at five, at 526, I think it was, I looked at my phone and said, tell, tell Josh to, to let everybody know we're going to do a, a live stream at uh, 715. So Josh left. He had finished for the day. He left his family dinner table and went and, uh, and, and sent, the, sent the information out to everybody. And uh, we did it. And as it turns out, <laughs> As it turns out, it's been our most commented on, uh, you know, video in history. I, I made the joke earlier. My girls have been in Fox News television the last <laughs> week, more than Christian and I have in 20 years. Because it, <laughs> it really just caught something with people. And uh, I know the the viewing audience on all platforms has already hit the millions on it. And it's really just very simple. It's just our, our, our girls. We just It's just something we do. We taught our girls a hymn a month most, most of their childhood, certainly for the last four years. We just... And we just do the same hymn every night. We go upstairs. You know, it's nothing fancy. We're we're we're, we're not like amazingly good at discipline and, and all those teaching and all those things that really smart parents are good at. We just go upstairs. We stick some toothpaste in their mouths. We sit under their bed and and we sing a hymn and we say a prayer and then say the Lord's prayer. And and uh, but what has happened with that over four years? They they know all these hymns. And so they know, it was, uh, for, for us, it's always, what is there a hymn that we would love them to grow old th- singing and that they will love singing? Do you know I mean, so it has to be both things. It has to appeal to their minds and their hearts every time. And it has to be something that they just love. So so it's, so it's we've just been, we, we just said, let's do a few of those. So we did. We did some, and it, it, was, it was just great fun. Keith Getty here on The Intersection. You can connect through Getty Music. That's G-E-T-T-Y music.com. 
Next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, Michelle Diedrich, Senior Executive for Global Media Outreach, discusses with me how the technology-driven ministry is involved in reaching people for Christ during the coronavirus situation. From that conversation, this is Michelle Diedrich now. I'm saying now we were we were doing social distancing before it was cool. <laughs> and <laughs> a lot of uh, churches and organizations, well, they're really getting a crash course in ministering online by putting their uh, services online and live streaming and seeing the reaction. And it's interesting because obviously more and more people being stuck at home, uh, they have no distractions with going out, no sports, um, all of the things that they use that everyone uses really to be distracted by but they are still going to the internet. They are turning to the internet and looking and they're thinking. And the question is, if the church is not there to show them Jesus, what are they going to find? They are, according to Google, searches around fears about the virus, unemployment, uncertain finances, all of those kinds of search terms are going up. So for us, we are really committed to reaching people at their point of need during the crisis. So as we see more and more people being open to talking about faith in the face of fear, we're ramping up. So putting out content, gospel, presentations, uh, even devotionals, we're calling them the quarantine devotionals, uh, so people can have a, a daily guide for those those two weeks to address some of the fears that they have. They're dealing with loneliness, isolation, fear about the future, um, questioning life, all of those things that that are happening and, and we're hearing on the news every day. And Michelle, if you would elaborate just a bit on how perhaps your approach with respect to content or perhaps search terms. I'm not sure all of the the technological aspects. I know that you do use Google search terms as as one of the factors to drive people to your sites, but how has your your content and perhaps your approach changed just a bit in light of the virus? Well, I think it's interesting. Any organization that is uh, in a time of crisis um, will want to prepare I think this is actually will be a big wake-up call for many organizations and and faith organizations of the potential to reach and serve their communities using digital technology, whether that's Facebook or live chat or all of the different things. So what we are doing specifically, though, is we put a call out to our volunteers who are Christians, just like you and I. They're not necessarily trained missionaries. Uh, but we do train them and give them the tools to respond. And the key here, we believe, is responding, first of all, by listening to the fears that people are experiencing and then pointing them to the hope and peace and comfort that Jesus brings. Everything we do drives people back to Jesus as the answer. So as we put out content, whether it's a a web page or a video or a Facebook post, whatever it is online, it all is driving back to whatever you're experiencing during this crisis. Jesus is the answer, and we can help you figure that out. Our volunteers can can talk to you. They can show you uh, the path in in the Bible of how to have that relationship with Jesus, who is the great comforter. And so those are some of the things that, that we're doing that 
might be a, a little bit different. Normally, when people are, are coming to our websites, um, it might be around a felt need, uh, whether that could be unemployment or they're um, worried about their marriage or relationship or finances. And we know that Jesus is the answer to everything. Um, but in this case, we are trying to help people in the face of an immediate crisis understand that we are there for them. We're going to pray for them, encourage and support them, and explain how Jesus um, can have that that gift that will take away that fear that you have. Michelle Diedrich here on The Intersection. You can learn more about the ministry by going to globalmediaoutreach.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's Peter Rosenberger of Hope for the Caregiver and author of the book, Hope for the Caregiver, Encouraging Words to Strengthen Your Spirit. In our recent conversation, he related his story of being the caregiver for his wife, Gracie, for over 30 years and his experience in working at home as well. Here now from that conversation is Peter Rosenberger. The danger is a lot of times people are scrambling because, okay, the paid workers can't necessarily get to the job site. Yeah. All right. So so families are going to have to redouble their efforts and somehow figure out what to do about this particular loved one or or so forth. And and. I would caution all people who are doing this not to hurl yourself recklessly, but try to just be good stewards of your time, your wallet, your mental health, your spiritual health, your your physical health, all these things. Um, we, we tend to go into kind of panic mode. It, it, put it in this way. Let's, let's take it out of the coronavirus. If you found out – well, I actually go even more personal. When Gracie had her wreck – her family dropped everything and rushed to the hospital, which was two states away. She was in college. And they slept on floors. They abandoned the job, the whole thing. I mean, that's what you do in an emergency. But eventually, they stopped sleeping on the floors in the hospital waiting rooms. Eventually, people had to go back to work. Eventually, people had to stop eating at McDonald's and start eating heart-healthy meals. That's where we are now as a society. We've all rushed to the scene of this event now, and we're trying to figure out what to do. But eventually, we're going to have to go back to being good stewards of our businesses and our lives and our churches and our wallets and our hearts and all these kinds of things. This is something that long-term caregivers understand. I cannot put my life on hold and wait for Gracie to get better or worse I have to live life in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. When I became a caregiver, I was 22 years old. That was 34 years ago. If I had put my life, my business, my education, all these things on hold until she got better or worse, where would I be now? And so I live life in the middle of it. This is my life. This is, we're not waiting for something to, to rescue us. This is our life. We've already been rescued by the cross. Now we're going to live this life as good stewards of where we are. Okay, Lord, you've brought this into existence here in our lives. We're, we're here. We're going to trust you in it. We're going to plan. We're going to prepare. We're going to, we're going to make sure we follow proper procedures. But we don't have to panic. There's no place in Scripture where God authorizes a panic. No place. Look. Go back and look. Look at the original Greek or Hebrew if you want. There, I've never seen any place where God says, okay, everybody go out and panic. Right. Doesn't right. happen. 
So basically, as we think about living in the moment, living in the day, as you were talking about the realizing that each day is a gift from God and really living in those moments and and really making the most of the opportunities that God has given to us. Elaborate just a bit about what you see that looks like, especially for those that have the responsibility of taking care of another person. Well, I think it goes back to that concept of, okay, what do you actually have power over? Mm. Okay, I, I don't have power to get more toilet paper into the grocery store. So you know what? So I got to be, I got to make do with what I have and do the best I can with what I have right here, right today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. But I, 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 what do you have power over? And the, really the only thing we have power over is how we respond to things. And there's nothing like taking care of somebody with severe disabilities for a couple of decades to expose the gunk that's in your own soul. Yeah. And I say that cringingly because I've seen I, – I would wish for everyone to see that in themselves, and I would wish that on no one because it's horrific. But at the same time, it's liberating because we realize we have no place other to go than to Christ. And it, that's the liberating part, but it is, it's a horrific thing to have to go through that. And anybody that tells you different is selling something because it is not an easy thing to see yourself stripped bare in front of a holy God. Isaiah, what did he do? You know, he said, woe is, is me, you know, when we see how the magnificence of God. And so we go back to these kinds of things and we ask ourselves, do we trust him? Peter Rosenberger here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website, hopeforthecaregiver.com. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the Faith Radio website. Just go to the programming section when you visit faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. You can also find the podcast in the Media Center and subscribe via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House, and the other is The Three, featuring three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Conversations from The Meeting House can be found through the Faith Radio app, as well as through a variety of podcast platforms, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Again, the website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.